Hey everyone, and welcome to another exciting episode of Battle of the Atom. This is your weekly X-Men podcast where we rank every story from A to Z. I'm Adam. And I'm Zach. Hi, Adam. Hello, Zach. It does feel like we've been doing this podcast for quite some time. Some might even say forever. And you know what? I think back to our first episodes. Yeah. The the before episodes that definitely happened. The mm-hmm. secret, unaired episodes. About the secret podcast we did. The, and I'm the, like. The first Boda as opposed yeah, the, to Boda forever. Yeah. The the first Boda. Because there is the first Boda. Boda will go on forever. There is there is the. After we had our schism back in 20. Let's say 19. I'm throwing out a guess here. <laughs> uh, and the podcast was never the same again. You know, I do wonder what it would be like if we were to just start the podcast right from that. Right from that spot. See what we would have done differently. Yeah, and I'm sure that whatever, you know, show was produced would be exactly what we would have produced had we been able to go back in time and actually do it. I'm I'm sure it would be exactly the same. There definitely aren't very obvious and well-promoted things that definitely changed in the interim that don't make sense if they weren't changed. And we're changed because someone else did the exact same plot just a few years earlier and... <laughs> We'll get to that. Hey guys, we're talking about X-Men Forever this week. We are not the uh not the X-Men Forever we have talked about before on the show, which um I had forgotten about, but was that wacky deep dive by by Fabes, right? Yeah, it wasn't good, but it, it was it interesting. Did exist. Yeah. It was, it was about Prosh. How interesting can something with Prosh, the professor, the ship be? It was it was taking some risks. I I think we agreed it was not successful, um, but uh, it was really successful with having multiple scenes of the juggernaut being stuck in a hole throughout time <laughs> and realizing that he spent so much time stuck in a hole. <laughs> but I think the forever we're talking about today uh, uh, is the more familiar one by Mister Claremont. And who requested this? Oh, this was requested by Mullet Overlord. And if you want to be like Mullet Overlord, you can go over to patreon.com slash comicsxf, reach deep down into your hearts and your pocketbooks, and toss a couple of coins into our coffers to keep some of the great content that we have going. In fact, the day that we're recording this was a great day for ComicsXF yeah. content. We had, well, this week we've had a redesign go up that's been awesome. We had, uh, I interviewed Claudio Sanchez from the band Coheed and Cambria about his mm-hmm. upcoming comic, which was a lifelong dream for me. Congratulations. Uh, Leah Williams told us which X uh, Terminators vape um, <laughs> fulfilling a bit that if you remember, oh my gosh, you're one of the OGs on this podcast and this site. Was that pre podcast? I think it might. Do, that you, bit might are we referring been. to uh, does Gambit vape? I think that is uh, Xavier. Which X Men vape Gambit Gambit? Yes. Well, it, it's obviously a Xavier Files <laughs> bit, but I'm trying to remember when which X-Men vape came out. It was a while back. It's a while back. Um, 
It was 2017. It was July 2017. Adam, it was a mere month before the podcast launched. Wow. Wow. So, you know, Rob uh, interviewed Leah for that piece. I I think it was done very, very well. Just, Just peak journalism right there. Yep, yep, yep. Yep, yep. Yep, 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 yep. And yep again. We should... Did I say Jubilee? Yeah, I said Jubilee definitely vapes. Okay, I feel great that me and Leah were on the same page. Dazzler vapes. Uh, Leah says that she no. Dazzler does not believe that's the case. Well, why are we spoiling the article? We should let people go, go read and the look article. At it. Go read the article, <laughs> and then go read the article from 2017 where I just have a list of experts. I say if they vape or not. That's a deep cut. Man, vapes have been with us since before 2017. Can you imagine that vapes have been around so long? You'd really think that people would be smarter, but you know, whatever. I guess people like breathing things folks love <laughs> i gotta have my vape gotta have my vape and i've gotta have my x-men forever do you though uh no. so let let's talk about the the pitch of this this is 2009 and um interesting i guess moment in time to say you know what chris claremont should really do <laughs> is pick up his 16 year run and just keep going I can understand the appeal. It it is scratching the exact same itch that the Roy Thomas X-Men comic that came out today also (laughs) scratches, which is people who want to read about X-Men from when they were young. Oh, sure. Um, I remember hearing about this, um, not having read it while I was in the midst year years ago of reading the Claremont run and being like, Oh, Okay. Well, this, this is an interesting idea. I, you know, uh, and then perusing it and realizing immediately that this was never what Claremont was going to do. Had he kept writing X-Men like it's just not, I, I, the, the basic premise is that he is picking up on X-Men volume two with issue four. And this is supposed to be exactly what he was thinking about. Uh, in 1991, 1992. I mean, no, it's not. It's absolutely there's, not. Okay, no, there's one thing. I think if you take just this issue, you could, you could say maybe just this issue because the cliffhanger at the end of this issue is Wolverine is murder killed for good. Yeah, so we're covering just the first five issues. So this is the first arc of X-Men Forever Volume 2 by Chris Claremont and Tom Grummet. Tom Grummet, yep. Yeah, okay. Uh, Wolverine gets murder killed, which Claremont wanted to do. Yes. Claremont was going to have him resurrected by the hand and become an assassin and doing a Wolverine enemy of the state. Pretty funny. Right, that 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 was. Can what you he had imagine in Wolverine, Enemy of the State, but Jim Lee's drawing it? That'd be pretty. It's badass. probably the same story, actually. Hold on, <laughs> I think, I think it's exactly the same. Uh, as someone who has been uh, recently rereading Wildcats, um, Wildcats. <laughs> those man, man, Jim had it going on right then. Man, he, he really knew what he was doing. Um, Grummet is doing fine. 
I mean, it's it certainly is not evocative of the 90s. Um, it, it's more actually in line with what I, I think of with the animated series. You know, it seems more on model with uh, what you might see if you picked up like one of the X-Men 92 series. Right. Uh, that, that's it, the feeling I get. It's clean. Uh, I think it evokes more of like. A, it is it is more in tune with a john Byrne or a walt simonson yes. than it is a jim lee yeah there's definitely a john Byrne influence um maybe in Which line with he did the like, big ones yeah he did the biggest ones sure and not everybody is completely on model like for some reason professor x is not in his gold floaty chair what's up with that uh i don't know yeah he gets that gold floaty chair after he comes back from space with his right. spacebird girlfriend a little weird right um, but for the most part, they're wearing the Jim Lee costumes, though. The big departure here is that Kitty and Kurt are back on the team. They're back here. Colossus and Angel and Iceman and, and Psylocke, probably the most egregious. just not mentioned. Yeah, it's it's a little strange. Like the idea of the blue and gold teams is not mentioned at all. And uh, not... You know, not that that really was brought up, I think, until X-Men Volume 2, Number 4 anyway. But no, at the it's, same in, time, it's in it's in. Uh, oh, is it? I don't know. Actually, no, you, you might be right. I think I think four is where they finally like have that double page spread of all of the X-Men in the around room. the thing. That might be the case, actually. Yeah, 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 yeah. But it, it's it's still a, you know, it's a Claremont friendly lineup uh, that mm. we've got here. And right off, you know, page one, Gene and Wolverine making out on a beach in fantasy land. Um, and Chris Claremont would have listened. That's Chris's OTP. He's wrong, but Chris Claremont loves Gene and Wolverine together. Yeah. And he was making them more and more overt about that as the teams came back, like in extinction agenda where they make out. Mm-hmm. Yep. So that I can kind of buy. It's a little like hitting you over the head with a frying pan. Like every other panel with either character is like, damn, she's really hot. I love her so much. And she's like, Oh, well the, you know, it's, it's a little heavy handed. Um, it's a very heavy <laughs> little, <laughs> yeah. Little is probably not the right word. Um, we we get uh, Fabian uh, Cortez as the main villain here in in the first issue, but then Shield is really very present here, which had more or less been the case with Claremont's Uncanny and the start of X Men Volume Three or Volume Two, right? Because like, they had teamed up for the Magneto protocols. Yeah, and... the Magneto stuff in. Well, they started in like the Savage Land stuff in uh, 275, around 275. And then they jump from that to Muir Island where S.H.I.E.L.D.'s not around. But then they are involved in the, uh, in like X-Men volume, you know, volume two, one, two, three. They're even in Muir Island because remember that, um, no, you know, I'm just going to tell you, I don't remember that in Muir Island. You know what? I believe you. It doesn't doesn't even matter. matter. It doesn't matter. Um, You know. Do I think that Claremont is definitely taking hints from where he was? Yes. Do I 100% believe that this is exactly 
what it might've been. I, I have a hard time with that. Um, though we are still seeing someone reflect on this time and basically do his Claremontian stuff. So like by the end of this, of course, little kid storm is back. <laughs> yeah. Roe is back. Because Why? <laughs> Claremont loves little kid storm. So what like answers- is with Chris and the little kid storm? Can we just like, Claremont can we loves- break this down? No, here's Why? here's the thing here. Here's the thing. Chris Claremont loves storm. Sure. In ways that most of us cannot even fathom loving a spouse. Chris Claremont loves storm. Chris Claremont just wants to do weird stories about people being turned into babies. He does them a lot. There's no two ways around it. It's really strange. And, you know, for somebody that will later, you know, do very weird stuff with storm, like, uh, you know, what, what was that? Um, what was that one where she ends up in like the sex dungeon, uh, like gladiatorial combat? Oh, thing? oh, oh, storm the arena. Yeah. Like we've got Claremont obsessed with doing that kind of stuff with storm, but we also have him obsessed with making her a little kid. Like right now on the shelves, you have the gambit mini series, which is again, stories about gambit and little kid storm. Oh, you mean, it's... you mean Remy Picard, right? <laughs> I have uh I've only read the first issue of that. So um I did not read Oh no, story. that's his name in X-Men Forever. It's Remy Picard. It's the weirdest choice. Oh right, he does change it. Yeah. Why is that? Well, because we didn't know anything about Gambit. And so I'm guessing um, Gambit he he probably was just like, no, that's Remy Picard. This is not LeBeau. Yeah. <laughs> Stupid Jim, you idiot. Yeah. I that's mean, not his can, last name. I'm gonna be spiteful him. here kind of testing the waters with like how characters interact with one another and this, that, and the other thing. So I, I think it's much more interesting as a sort of experiment than it is as a story, because what we is what's revealed is that the character that killed Wolverine is the adult version of storm. But we also have little kid storm running around by the end of these five issues. So something, 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 extinction agenda, something, something, something. The consortium. The consortium is here. Uh, we also have they're Kitty, made up. Kitty pride through a phasing accident now has one of the adamantium claws. A hundred percent. The most Chris Claremont thing to <laughs> ever happen is not only is Kitty Pride here and she's really cool and she's the best one, she also is our replacement Wolverine. Fully buy that Chris would have done that had he had access to Kitty Pride at this point. <laughs> it's just a it's a wild uh you know mix it's of, weird of ideas. It's a weird and, thing. and it it you know for Grummet's doing fine job with the artwork, but just as a story, it feels very messy. It feels like someone grasping at history and, and just trying things out. And he keeps what do you know what I love that he keeps? He keeps his idea about Sabretooth being Wolverine's dad. Yeah. And he makes that such a big thing in so much that in this comic, he's like, yes, as we all know, Wolverine, my child was murdered. And mm-hmm. now I, Sabretooth, who, who's blind now, I guess, will be on the team. And, and it's it's so matter of fact. 
you know, a lot of this stuff is basically like, yeah, well, I've been saying this for years. So now it's just on to the be page. Fair, Sabretooth kind of had been saying that for a while. Oh, sure. No, ab- absolutely. But like, it's the kind think of thing. it's weird now. At the time, actually, he, he kind of was. What, what I mean by that is that, you know, it's not the kind of thing that elicits surprise or, you know, gasps from X-Men who might be shocked by such information. Um, everybody's just like, oh, oh, yeah, we all we all knew that. As we all know. <laughs> yeah, this is a weird one. Like the X-Men kind of become agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Kind of, or at least they are working very, very closely. It's just the weirdest thing about this is these, these comics are more or less fine. Are they good? No. Are they memorable? Also, no. Are they even they aren't even weird enough to be like, oh, my gosh, you have to read how weird this gets. What they aren't is interesting enough to go 24 issues on this series plus some annuals and then another 16 issues. That's insane. The X-Men yeah. forever went that long. Yeah. It lasts for a while. Um, I, I just wish this was more fun. You know, I, I know that there are folks out there that are constantly pining for Claremont X-Men and uh, I'm glad, you know, for instance, they're getting what they want with with the Gambit mini, um, you know, it's let them play in the sandbox. I just for me, I, I there's there's not as much enjoyment here uh, as, as it, I would like. It truly is the same feeling as if you read. Have you ever read any of John Burns X-Men Elsewhen? Yeah, yeah, and it 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 has a similar it's the vibe. Exact to it. same. Like, I see what you're doing here, but I don't understand why it's happening. I get right. it, but a Chris Claremont has lived with the question of what if things had happened differently for his entire career, and if you ever ask the man, he will let you know that he still holds a grudge on this one. Yeah, um, all of I- us moved on. I do think that what's what's challenging about it and and the only reason I I say that there's a similarity to the burn stuff is just there's an element that listen everything that comes after Claremont is essentially a form of fan fiction you know it's an it's an extended narrative where you're building off of hundreds of people working on these books but this in particular is an oddity because it is the original writer going back and and doing a form of fan fiction, if you will, you know, it, it's he taking, is doing self fanfic, isn't he? Right. You know, it's, it's saying I knew how to do this better at the time. And even if you did, this is not what it would have been, you know? So it's, it's not what would have weird... worked in 1992 either. Uh, no, no, absolutely not. So I, I still always have it in my mind that a, I, I don't believe it. I don't believe the the premise. Um, but again, like I said before, I just don't think it's very fun. So um, maybe maybe we should take a crack at ranking this bad boy. Oh, yeah, because we rank things on this podcast. We've got a big old list ranking every X-Men story ever from best to worst, A to Z, not A to Z. That's alphabetical. <laughs> it is best to worst. I wonder if we did this A to Z, what it would look like. We'll do that sometime. Well, we can uh, sort the data on a separate uh, slide, if you'd like. I mean, a separate sheet, if you'd like. Adam, do not presume to tell me how to sort data in Excel. <laughs> it's a simple uh, thing we could. <laughs> Adam, I, 
I can't even talk to you right now. Do you have any idea how many tables I've pivoted? I I know that that's your middle name is Pivoter. So Zachary that... Pivoter Jenkins. <laughs> I don't think I say my last name on this show a lot. I assume people have figured it out. Anyway, we have 687 stories on this list. The best one is House of X, Powers of 10. Uh, the 100th best one is X-Men Alpha Flight. The 200th best one is X-Force 1 to 2, a force to be reckoned with. Uh, the 300th story on this list is X-Men 39, Adam X, the Extreme Goes Camping. Uh, 400 is New X-Men Choosing Sides. That's 1 to 6 of the Academy X era. Uh, number 500 is Judgment War from X-Factor. Number 600 is X-Men Noir. And then the bottom is the Draco. Where's X-Men Forever, Volume 1? I think we're in the 500s. Hold on. Forever. You know, it's not as bad as New Mutants Forever at 687. Oh, definitely not. Uh, that's another Claremont joint. Um, but, you know, that has all the Nazis in it. And, um, you the, know. There's several Nazis in that one. That one's Oof. weird. And Nova Roma. It's yeah. just like you gave me two things. And <laughs> it's rough. One of them. The, when the more enjoyable thing is Nazis. Then you're then you're like, oh, mm, this is this is a real Sophie's choice here. Uh, um, I think we're forever by Fabian is at 645. OK, yeah, well, I don't think we're that bad either. I do think we're probably lower than 550, though, which is the Wolverine and Electra uh, 102 yeah, and 103. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I leave Larry. Yeah. Yep. Like, Pride and Wisdom is better than this. And that's I, at 569. I agree. The Star Trek um, X-Men, better than this. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Just working my way down. Um, How do you feel about this compared to Smokescreen? Oh, I I mean, <laughs> I think Smokescreen is better. Smokescreen's better than this. That's the... <laughs> Adam, um, Adam, that does push us into interesting territory. This is probably better as a narrative than 611 pint size X babies murder Rama. I would agree. Um, how about at 606 X-Men volume two, 100 to 102 revolutions. Revolutions is better. Okay. I like Neo more than this. Yeah. I like, I like the one Neo that has guns for hands and it goes. Yeah. Gun haver or whatever his name is. Yeah. I mean, we're and right above that is X-Men hidden years six to seven. Like we're in the same realm we are right we are in the realm of old guys coming back when they really should have just stayed away and enjoyed their legacy this is probably better than fabian Iniciasis captain marvel two through three or i really want to get adam x's origin story in here and i'm going to do it any way i can i would agree so this is gonna be our new 607 let's make it 607 x-men forever is not good i also want someone to do a dedicated X-Men Forever podcast where I can listen to everybody talk about X-Men Forever, an insane comic book. <laughs> yeah, fascinating experiment there. And of course, we just mentioned there have been others. So uh, there was X-Men Forever. There was then New Mutants Forever, which was more, which was just a mini. And then uh, there was also the series we're going to talk about next, which is X-Factor Forever. Okay, so this is bringing uh, Wheezy, Louise Simonson's back. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dan Panosian does the main work with Aluro. Alu- I don't know how to pronounce his name. Aluri 
Allure? Uh, Almancino. Almancino. And I believe That's Eric, Eric Nguyen uh does a lot of the art as well when Panosian is he not. does he does inks so and I I think what it really comes down to if we're when we're saying inks there's a few pages where Panosian did the breakdowns and yeah uh, there's a considerable Newton. chunk of this that Panosian did not yeah. finish he did not finish to the same level as the rest of it no um Panosian's art rules in this though right yeah uh you know killer the, stuff First thing we we should say is that it's unlike Claremont, who I think probably was pining to do something like X-Men Forever and may have even pitched it. I don't know how that came to be. You get the impression from the introduction in the first issue that uh, Wheezy was not anticipating getting the call to even do this series, um, but was still interested in, in pursuing it. So because um, Cl- what happens? Claremont gets fired from X-Men. And nothing ever gets to that point again. Mm-hmm. Louise Simonson gets fired from X Factor and immediately kills Superman. <laughs> yeah. Louise Simonson, great trajectory up for her there. Love uh, Wheezy. Listen, do I always love Louise Simonson's comics? Absolutely not. Love Wheezy. Love this for her. Um, and this is absolutely the one other story she had for X factor, which she has also told again recently in X-Men legends. It is wild how similar this is to the X-Men legends, two issues that she did with Walt recently. This is yep. very, very similar. Uh, Cause what happens is that, well, first of all, well, we should talk, off, we should say what this is taking the place of. Yeah, what is this taking the place of? I okay, guess the- so folks, remember that right after Wheezy stopped writing the book, we got Endgame, right? Which was Jim Lee and Will Sportaccio writing with Claremont doing some of the dialogue. Yeah. Um, but that was the big culminating thing that ended with Nathan being blessed into the future to become Cable, uh, if everybody remembers that. So this is... The, the concept of X factor forever is that that story did not happen. And that this story is happening in its place. Immediately. What happens is that Scott and Jean get cool two thousands costumes. Everyone else looks the same. <laughs> those, those costumes are really amazing. They look, those fantastic. costumes rip. Yeah. You put those on a character in two or 1992. You're laughed out of the room. <laughs> yeah they they have a a, a new x-men kind of style to them um but mm-hmm. they look fantastic they're kind of these you know off-center x's and um pretty neat but uh you know looks great yeah so this is really and it's interesting because i think from an art perspective i would much rather look even though panoshian is killing it when he's actually doing all the art um i think i'd always prefer walt you know, so the X-Men Legends issues are a lot of fun, right? Okay, like yeah. Right? Yes, we That's would all prefer that Walt Simonson drew every comic. Yes. So Dan Pernosian also wishes that Walt Simonson drew this comic. <laughs> um, that being said, the the story that was told in X-Men Legends is, is a bit of a goof. Whereas I think Luis is really like going for something here. 
you know, this has a lot more nuance and depth than uh, what Claremont is trying to do with his X-Men Forever stuff. There is something very interesting with both of these stories, you know? Yeah, especially because, you know, we talked when we talked about Ten of Swords, we talked about the fact that Apocalypse's motives and his motivations and his whole reason for doing whatever it is he's doing has been extraordinarily vague, right? And we never really got that up and through Ten of Swords because I think of the changing of the guards. Like if you go back to Endgame, it, you still don't really have a solid idea of what Apocalypse is about or what he wants. This story is very centered around exactly that. And not which only is it going to tell in- its main story, but it's got a backup story, which retells and in Wheezy's idea of what Apocalypse's true backstory was. And it does it in such a way that it is in concert with the other apocalypse stuff that was happening in X Factor. It mm-hmm. really is Endgame kind of comes in and just has Apocalypse as this weird big bad guy on the moon that's gonna infect a baby, right? For some reason, then it, that's when Apocalypse goes off the rails. It's really unfortunate that those comics were incredibly popular and well selling. <laughs> But what I think is very interesting, and it ties into what Apocalypse's motive is, is that Apocalypse has come to an understanding that there has never been a mutant born from two mutant parents, which means the mutant line doesn't actually have a very good chance of survival, and Apocalypse's job is to make sure that it does, uh, so that he can stop the Celestials' judgment from destroying the world, because the Celestials want mutants to thrive for reasons. And it's an interesting kind of, you know, dark truth about mutants in the X-Men that Claremont also does in X-Men Forever, where the big reveal in that is that, hey, if mutants use their powers too much, they're going to burn up. And he's like, why don't you think they're, why do you think all of you guys are like 25? Oh, I forgot about that. That was, I'll give him credit. I thought that was kind of interesting. It, it's, was, it, it was playing with the, the, the sliding time scale and it was like, Hey, how come you guys never get to be 30? <laughs> it's interesting. It's very thrown off by the fact that Charles Xavier is sitting there. Right, he's right. like, he's like, well, I'm in a wheelchair again because I used my powers too much. <laughs> and it, if you think about it for more than five seconds, it completely falls apart. But yeah, it's a, that's it's not a what nice, happened. It's a nice little push through everything. It's a good concept. And I like the concept here in X Factor Forever. Like mutants have to. They have to question, because these are closed-ended stories, they're allowed to break things and say, what if what if mutants aren't going to be around forever? What do yeah. you do then? Yeah, and it's, it's, it's a nice tie-in from not only Fall of the Mutants, right, where we had Apocalypse attack New York for the first time, but it also brings back the Celestials that we just saw in Judgment Day. Um, Judgment so, War. Judgment Day is going on right now. Uh, well, there's... I mean, it was kind of fun reading this again and currently reading Judgment Day because, right? Like, there's there's a lot of overlap. uh, It turns out everyone loves the idea of the Celestials because Jack Kirby had a great idea. And it was, what if there was a really big dude who gave a thumbs up or a thumbs down? (laughs) And he didn't say anything else. And he was cool. He had a coffee mug on his head. <laughs> well, we know Kieran likes it because he's already done that too. Um, 
<laughs> in his uncanny run. But uh, I am really enjoying the the current series. Just as an aside, oh, hey, sidebar, Adam, you've read you've read Acts Five, right? Uh yeah, yeah, yeah. It rules. <laughs> I'm just really enjoying the series. I think it's a lot of fun. Spoiler alert, guys. Uh, like hit the skip forward for a second. If you haven't read Acts Five yet, Judgment Day it just came out last week. Uh, that part where the shield comes out through an egg. <laughs> I'm like, yes, this also, is going to be messy. Let's do it. I don't also, know how this is. Why happening. does he have the shield in the egg? <laughs> because comics, Adam, my friend, <laughs> operate on the rule of that's going to look friggin' sweet. <laughs> and you know what? It looks friggin' sweet when Captain America is reborn and punches his shield out of an egg. Yep. Yeah. The last remaining five eggs. Um, all right, we're getting away from X Factor forever. So um, this this does line up much, much better with where Wheezy had dropped off. So we're getting Caliban uh, and Sabretooth stuff similar to where we were before um, in New Mutants. We're getting the Apocalypse relationship with Ship. I think that stuff's a lot better. And we get some fun Sinister stuff in here, too. Apocalypse is so mad at Mr. Sinister. This <laughs> yeah. whole comic. He's like, I had a whole plan. I had spent <laughs> centuries putting this together. I was going to stop the Celestials from judging this planet harshly. And freaking Nathaniel Essex comes on in here and <laughs> screws with all of my stuff. He just had to go and do a, a He just had to do an go and do a Crimea. I was going to say Crimea, and I know that's wrong. <laughs> a chimera. A chimera. Thank you, Adam. Crimea <laughs> is an annexed part of Ukraine that Russia is currently controlling and is a terrible crime. Um, man, Mr. Sinister, buck wild in this comic. Yeah, Love he's, it. he's having a delight with his clone party uh, in his basement. And uh, he's cloned everybody. <laughs> yeah. He's so like, oh, you, you want some babies? <laughs> Come into my baby room. <laughs> he literally says, look, look, hold on. Christopher Summers is fine. But I have some other models if you would like to try them on. <laughs> right. I've got so many babies here. Yeah. And some of it doesn't really make a lot of sense. Like Cable is there. And he's basically like, oh, you never made that connection, you dummies. And, you know, and it's like, well, OK, that's not how this story ends. So I'm not sure how that works. But sure. Why not? Why not? Yeah. Let's have some fun. Um, I think where the story uh, suffers is that, I'm, as we've said already, Pinocchio does not do the finished art for the entire series. And, and that is to its detriment, um, because when he is drawing, it's so great. And then when he's not, it's just okay. You know, the layouts are has fine. A very, he has a very angular, energetic style. Yes. For all of this. And it rules. And I wish we got more of it. Yeah. Same. Uh, another thing that happens in this is that everyone gets a baby. Yes. Or at least a child in some form. Yes. Uh, Iceman, Opal Tanaka finds a baby Trish Tilby comes back from India with the child. Yep. Uh, Might have been kidnapping. I'm not fully it's, sure. It's a, it's a showgo situation for sure. <laughs> she found a baby. <laughs> On assignment. Uh, Charlotte, 
uh, the baby was not on assignment. Trish Tilby was on assignment. Yeah. Uh, Archangel spends a lot of time with Timmy Jones. That's Charlotte Jones's kid. Mm-hmm. So like babies are obviously the core theme of this, but it kind of works. Like usually X Factor Forever kind of works. And it's, it's a family, you know, X Factor was a family book. And this, this really does use the extended cast pretty well. Um, there is that really awkward moment where Hank kind of accuses his teammates of like going around having unprotected sex and like having okay. random babies with people. Uh, you were you were like eesh about this. Hold on, hold on. <laughs> I know Warren Worthington the third doesn't use protection, and I'm pretty sure Bobby Drake is. He just it just doesn't feel the same for him. Listen. I think maybe I buy that 150. I don't know how in depth we want to go with this. I just thought that the implication was a little bit much from Hank. Uh, <laughs> I would absolutely, that they, I would, that all of his I teammates would absolutely, were <laughs> I would absolutely imply as a joke to my friends that Mr. Playboy billionaire <laughs> might have a couple of kids that squeaked through and Mr. Hey, what's that over there? Guy. <laughs> may have forgotten once or twice. I think what's truly wild about it is that by saying it out loud as, you know, he's kind of projecting maybe his own confession. Like, I don't know what he's trying to say in that moment. So the only person on X factor who uses a condom is Scott Summers. (laughs) I'm, I'm willing to say that right now. Gene is upset about it. Scott is like, no, we have to. Yeah. No, he's he's responsible. That's good. And I hope our I listeners already are have as well. so many kids from from alternate timelines. I cannot <laughs> do this again. Uh, so speaking of an alternate timeline, the backup feature to this is the the apocalypse backstory that feels a little more of an afterthought to me. Like, I, I feel like Wheezy has definitely put in. Maybe, maybe afterthought is the wrong word. Cause you can tell she's thought about it quite a bit, but it, it doesn't work as well as it should. And sort of the, the problem is with those backups is that what Louise Simonson's idea for apocalypse was with a few details changed kind of the backstory we ended up with. Yeah. Yeah. He's from, he's from the Balkans instead of from Egypt. Okay. Mm-hmm. A couple of small details change. But he's essentially apocalypse. Like, yeah, he's he's just doing all the apocalypse things. So you're sitting there and you're reading it and you're like, okay, okay, okay. But why are you telling me this? I'm assuming I already know apocalypse's deal. <laughs> the assumption yeah. is that his deal is what we already know, unless proven otherwise. Yeah, it doesn't add a, a tremendous amount to it, but I I do appreciate the effort um, and and the difference in the art style. Um, you know, that's kind of going for like a. I don't know. It kind of has like a Tom Scioli kind of vibe, like Kirby-esque. Um, but I don't think it's entirely successful. No, but I do think that this is far more successful than X-Men Forever. Oh, I enjoy this. I, I think this is actually pretty solid. Um, this comic's pretty good. Yeah. and it, worst comics out there. We read a lot of bad comics. This one's not that bad. Right. So at 500 Judgment War, I think this is better than that. Oh yeah, I'd rather reread this. I have reread this since the last time I read Judgment War. Yeah. So what are you thinking? Let's crank this up. Um, this is better than Deadpool Bad Blood at 479. Yep. 
Yeah. I think we're probably what's, what's at 400. I think 400s are probably going to be the right part for it. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. You know, actually, um, actually, hold on, Adam. I do think this is better than number 400 new X-Men 136 choosing sides. Now that I'm oh, looking at this. Interesting. Okay. All right. Um, I don't know if it's that much better. Uh, like it's probably not better than the Hellfire Gambit or that time generation X fought Omega Red. No, I, I don't think I would go higher. This, this is probably on par with something like the 198 at 375. You know, it's around there. Yeah. Um, it's like this isn't as good as Into the Void from Uncanny X-Men. Nope. 383. I think it's better than Breaking Point from Uncanny X-Men, uh, the Fraction stuff. Yeah. And I think, I think it's probably better than Deadpool Volume 2 at 384. Yes. Though I like Deadpool Volume 2. I do too. Let's make this 384. Yeah. All right, so this is our new 384, and, um, you know, we've already done New Mutants forever, so what did we choose to uh, finish off our episode here, Zach? Well, you know about the X-Men, right, Adam? I- I've heard of them. The Children of the Atom? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, the, the Acolytes of Xavier's Dream? Yes, yes, yes. Well, before Xavier's Dream, there <laughs> were the first X-Men. Oh, Interesting. That's not something that uh, I thought existed. Yeah. Um, well, I didn't either. But luckily, do you know who did? <laughs> Mr. Neil Adams. Neil Adams. Rest in peace. I I hope that when they buried you, your dreams came true and you did fall into the hollow center of the earth as you had always envisioned, Neil. Oh, uh, is Neil a hollow earther? Oh, Neil's a hollow. Neil Neil was a notorious hollow earther. That's Here's the wild. thing about Neil Adams. Neil Adams believed a lot of things with all of his heart and mind and soul, and a lot of them were good. Uh, hmm. I'm glad that the conspiracy theory that he chose was mostly harmless. <laughs> yeah, you're not going to hurt many people. Uh, that, that hollow earth is a lot better than flat earth, I think, even though it's equally stupid. But, you know. Yeah, I mean, I don't. I, I believe that the earth is not hollow. I want to say that for everybody, no matter <laughs> what science fiction tells me, I don't think the earth is hollow. Uh, I mean, uh, if- Christos Gage is also here doing his Christos Gageiest of getting a comic out the door that needs out the door. Right, right. So he's, he's providing some script to go along with Neil Adams. And, um, I remember when this came out, cause this is, uh, 2012 and, uh, just, from the cover and you look at the lineup, this is a bonkers idea. Like clearly the X-Men did not exist canonically before the X-Men. So what are we looking at here, Zach? It's weird because this is definitely a tie into X-Men first class that took a year to come out. Mm. Also. Yeah. That's a good point. Like that's, that's what this is. It's what it is. It's X-Men first class. Yeah. Cause the lineup is really Wolverine and Sabretooth mm-hmm. and Wolverine and Sabretooth are walking around doing their things. And he's like, you know, bub, there's a lot more of these mutants around. Maybe someone should teach them. Maybe someone should show them about their extra abilities. <laughs> and Sabretooth says, I'm not murdering anyone at this moment. So sure. <laughs> let's go become some sort of X-Man. They don't, they aren't that blunt with it. Uh, 
they do try to try to recruit Magneto and Xavier. Xavier says, no, I want to stay with my hot girlfriend, Moira McTaggart. Mm -hmm. And Magneto says, I have so many Nazis to murder guys. Yeah. And uh, I was really, I was really happy to see that because the, if you just looked at the covers and the solicits, it did appear as if Magneto was on this team, which really threw me for a loop. And uh, he's basically like, you you guys beat it, please. I ain't got time for this crap. Guys. Again, I'm in, I'm in Argentina. I can essentially feel an iron cross from four miles away. <laughs> so I'm just going and killing Nazis left and right. That's right. That is right. And um, so w- the rest of the cast is filled out by basically a bunch of kids. And it's not like they have a Cerebro to find them. So it's kind of weird that they do stumble upon these people. But um, we have characters like Hollow. Bomb, Hollow, your favorite. Yeti. <laughs> Ash. Oh, Shadow Shift. Okay, I do kind of love Shadow Shift because Shadow Shift is basically just Peter Pan. Yeah, it's Shadow Shift and Scout. Um, <laughs> Meteor. Yep. It's like a who's Meteor, and then Yeti's brother, who doesn't get a name but is definitely named Bigfoot. Right, right, right. And um, the villain or Sasquatch? The... No, there's already a Sasquatch. Never mind. He has to be Bigfoot. Yeah, it's. it's I think it's just Bigfoot. Um, so he doesn't uh, really get a name. The bad guy here is uh, the feds. Well, at least it's the FBI. It's some the of them. Um, Boulevard Trask is mm-hmm. uh, working on making Sentinels. Uh, Fred Duncan is here. Everyone's favorite guy, Fred Duncan. <laughs> uh, FBI agent Fred Duncan is around. Is yep. it Fred Duncan? Am I saying uh, this? Yes. It. No, That's it Fred is. Duncan. Frederick Duncan. Yep. Yep. Wait. What's Blob's last name? Not Duncan. It's Fred. um, Dukes. Dukes. Well, I should have known that off the top of my head. I feel bad about that. So it threw me off because Fred Dukes and Jean Grey's boyfriend, Duncan, no last name that I remember, Mm. are definitely in X-Men Evolution at the same time. That throws me off. Uh. Doesn't matter. FBI agent Fred Fred Duncan from X-Men number two. Yeah, and, and Fred is is very like, hey, maybe we should work with these folks, not just like try to genocide them. And can we re- not do a human rights abuse for the FBI? We have so many of those. <laughs> like, can we avoid this one? Yeah, could um, we? What they end up doing instead is sicking. Uh, my favorite part of this miniseries is the the very gross and very silly a character known as the virus against this team the virus spider walks everywhere he's got a big head uh-huh. and he's got a bunch of like iv cables iv needles sticking out of him that he can throw into people and parade around their bodies he does not in any way shape or form Look as if he belongs in this comic book. <laughs> no, he's this super creepy horror thing. And he, you forgot to mention With that a dumb smile. Yes. That for the virus to uh, be ambulatory, he has to have a human host to be on the back of. So they always pick a giant jacked guy like the uh, Yeti's brother, Bigfoot uh, to strap him onto. And it, I just think that this concept is hilarious. He's just this like giant spider baby on the back. He's like a backpack onto like a, a pro wrestler who walks around like 
throwing uh, Omega red tentacles at people. And they do my favorite part of this is that they do a flashback to when he was born. (laughs) It's just so funny. He's just that same weirdo kid. He tries to put on pants like a people at one point. (laughs) This is so wild that Needle Adams was like, okay, I'm coming back to X-Men. Yep. What do I do? This friggin' weird kid. Yeah, it's it's very anyway. Very resurrect cool. virus. Yeah, let's get virus back, man. Let's get virus back, our Krakoa. Would it be good? No. Would it be funny? Yes. Um. So I, I'm gonna say this. I was surprised. I was anticipating. I I would hate this, and I was very surprised that. I actually found myself kind of enjoying it because there are weird things in it like virus, like Peter Pan. And I said this before we started recording, Neil Adams still draws really well. Like this book looks pretty damn good with the exception of like Wolverine and Sabretooth have like vampire teeth the whole time. They have like Sabretooth tiger tusks. I am not a, I am not a fan of late era Neil Adams, though I can appreciate his artistry. Um, so the art didn't land for me. I see this as more of like a B movie that you watch and it's bad, but you're enjoying it. 100%. It feels so bad. Yeah. Oh yeah. Don't get me wrong. I mean, it just, it has a goofy fun quality to it that I, I wasn't expecting. I was expecting something a lot more serious and trying to really embed itself into the canon. And it is not, it does not care about being part of the canon. Nope. Does not care. Oh, Wolverine is meeting these characters before he meets them for real. Doesn't matter. It's okay. Does not matter. It is unimportant how any of this really works. Mm -hmm. Wolverine and Sabretooth are making a group of X-Men. It's very funny at the end when Wolverine kind of comes to the decision. I'm really bad at this. (laughs) This was a terrible choice. Yes. I should not be doing this. Who let me make this decision? <laughs> Which is a great bit of meta commentary, I think. Yes. They do get to fight some sentinels. They do get to fight virus. Fight a sentinel. There's a whole thing with uh there's a whole thing with Sabretooth and this one of the students named Hollow that Wolverine very explicitly calls out. He says, Sabretooth, you are her teacher. And he's like, Are we teachers? And he's like, I don't know, but please don't have relations with one of our students please she dies all the all these kids die which is great wolverine gets up all killed peter pan doesn't die he runs away it doesn't his dad picks him up he gets reunited with his dad which is nice because we don't know this character like is non-entity he doesn't really appear very much in the comic so but yes most of them most of them die yes it's not great that Sabretooth. uh you know, develops a relationship with a very explicitly 18 year old girl who transforms herself, like makes people hallucinate that she's older. Um, not a great look. It's not a, listen, it's a very saber tooth look. Like I yeah. get it. He's, he's not a role model. No, uh, it's, it's weird when it ends uh, with her giving him visions of their life together. Should she have lived, but she's not going to live. And it's like, 
I don't know what to do with this information. People. Well, you're it, not it, making me feel good about Sabretooth. You know? No. And it also feels very out of character. Like you cannot imagine any sort of reality hallucinatory or otherwise that Sabretooth would quote unquote settle down. Like it just not going to happen. He's got, he's got that animal inside him. He's got that dog inside <laughs> of him, buddy. He ain't, he ain't stopping. No, no, this is a weird comic. It's worth reading so that people know it exists. Like, yeah, we, this was just a decade ago. We cannot let it fade from memory. I, I think there's enough here that it's 100% worth checking out. And, um, you know, it's, it's a revisionist history that clearly does not care whether you <laughs> agree with it or not you know like claremont is is going out of his way to go back you know go this is the way it was supposed to be and like neil adams is like yo i i got this this like spider backpack guy and speeder <laughs> pan and, and this girl who's gonna fall in love with saber tooth and you're like okay let's just take this weird like your description of it as a b movie is dead on like it definitely feels that way and it definitely feels like one that I don't think was intentionally made to be like, there's, there's times where you can make something schlocky intentionally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this is that beautiful form of it where no, they weren't intending Mm-mm. to make anything like this, but the end product is so pure. They did exactly what they wanted to do. And what they wanted to do was something terrible and bad. <laughs> and they did it though. They, they, by they golly, did it with all their heart, they did it. Christos Gage absolutely cashed those five paychecks. <laughs> and really, is there anything else that man wants in this world? Is to get paychecks because Dan Slot can't finish his comics. It's a good bracket, you know. So I it, don't. It's great money if you can get it. Really. <laughs> yeah, I would take that job in a heart. <laughs> you need me to write some dialogue and figure out how to make this art make sense. Great, let's go. I'm on it. it. I have mouth words for these characters. <laughs> I think uh, we're probably in the 400s here. I yeah, mean, this is not actually a better story than X Factor Forever. No, 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 no. Um, you know, fun is fun is fun, but uh, you know, Death of X is better at 4:30. Yep. Uh, Claws and Webs is better. Where's Claws and Webs? Uh, it's just a few below. Oh, okay. Actually, 4:54. X Men No More Humans. Hmm. Similar. This is. I think this is kind of better than no more humans. It might be. It might be. Uh, there's, there's enough stuff here. That's fun. And I'm looking down the list and I think we're in the right spot. Uh, new mutant summer special is better than this at four fifty. Yeah. We're new mutant summer special is woefully low on this list. I'm sorry. It's all Again, good, Zach. We've all changed. <laughs> uh, what's X factor one forty five to one forty nine. That's, uh, that's the end of X factor where, uh, you got Xavier's underground enforcers. Oh, oh, huh. I like Xavier's underground enforcers better than any of the new characters in this, except for virus. All right. Well then this can be our new four fifty four. Okay. That's, that's a perfectly fine spot. Yeah. I, I'm, I am shocked to have read this and been like, Hey, that was kind of fun. You know, it's still bad. Oh like, yeah. Just, as much as we're emphasizing that X Factor Forever is actually good, <laughs> we do need to emphasize this is actually bad. But <laughs> if you are of the same inclination as us, you may enjoy the ways that it is bad. Adam, that was a great week. What do you got going on this 
um, that people should know about. Uh, folks, if you missed it, um, I, Zach mentioned it before, but the new edition of uh, X-Men Redesigned is uh, Shatterstar. And I am so proud of all of the artists and what they were able to accomplish. Uh, just some really fantastic stuff, some very out of the box ideas. Um, so if you did not check that out, go over to comics XF and, uh, and look at those really cool pieces of artwork. Um, you can always follow me on Twitter at Arthur Stacy. Zach, what do you have going on? Nothing. Love Except it. for that interview with Claudia Sanchez. Go listen to that. I'm or watch it, read it, read it with your eyeballs. <laughs> I am just giddy. Yeah. To be able to do that. Should be. Uh, and excited. Hey, Adam, you know what we're doing next week? Uh, oh. It's an all Sauron episode. Yes. Talk about Sauron. <laughs> I'll wear my jorts. I'm really, I'm really excited. Have we covered all of the important Sauron stories? Absolutely. So not only are we doing Sauron, we're doing the bottom of the barrel for Sauron, the dinosaur pterosaur man. I'm so excited that the podcast gives us this opportunity week in and week out to do dumb stuff. But until then, folks, this this right here, this last little hour or so has been Battle of the Atom. We hope you survived the experience. 